the, I'm starting out this morning with a little bit of a like like a cringe factor, but um, there's a problem with Christians today, and I feel like I can say that because well because I am one, and <laughs> it's good to be self-critical, but also because the intent again is for growth, right? And so um, so here's the deal: is like what we know about our Christian faith and our following God, and uh, and just that kind of that loyalty of following Him and, and serving Him and and serving the world, loving our neighbor, is that we know and believe that that like we're going to be better off following God. We know that, like 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 if it, life is better, it's it's in a good place. You know, we see things increase that would have never otherwise. But the problem is is that we often measure better by the wrong ruler stick. We're measuring the wrong fruits. We're taking the wrong harvest to the bin and saying, weigh these, while the real fruit is still hanging out in the fields. We know that as we invest ourselves in a relationship with God, that we are told by Paul, he says this the clearest in Galatians, his letter to the church in Galatia, chapter 5. And he says, listen, as, the, as you surrender and as the Spirit overtakes you and comes within you and breathes and, and grows within you, this is what's going to happen. You're going to see the fruits of the Holy Spirit growing in you. The fruit of love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Like you're going to see this. It's not because you're doing all the work. It's because you've let the Spirit start growing in you. you got this big old fruit tree growing. Like, so that's, that's, those are the fruits that we're, that we're given. And that's what we should be excited about in this relationship with God. And that's really, you know, that's what he's pointing us towards. But we kind of get off a little bit. And somewhere along the line, we have kind of gotten in the idea that the actual fruits that we want and want to measure by are instead fruits of success and righteousness. Gosh, we want to be right. It feels bad to be wrong. Of comfort. We don't, you know, we, we want everything to be a smooth sailing, serene lake of control, of blessing, of superiority. We want to be elevated. Even the disciples were kind of chomping on this bit. That's oftentimes what we're measuring our relationship or the fruits that we're most seeking or hoping to find out of this faith relationship. Now, I want to tell you that the second list is not a terrible list in its very nature. Um, what it is, though, this is they're the byproduct of the fruits. But what we want to do is we want to, we want to skip the fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We want to skip those fruits and get to these fruits and call them fruits, but these are the byproduct. Like the byproduct of us eating grapes is that our body will be nourished and we'll be able to do other things. But what we want to do is we want to skip the grapes and just go to the other things. So ultimately, uh, it, it actually doesn't quite work out because Jesus actually says, um, you know, like when it comes to money or things, like you can only serve one master. 
So if you're, uh, if you're working on saying, well, I, I like the fruits of the Spirit and I like those other fruits, like let's have them both, Jesus is ultimately saying it doesn't work that way. Like you have to focus in on one, you know, and, and let that be. And then God will take care of the rest for you. Um, and so ultimately, I think sometimes in our Christian faith, because the world does speak loudly and sometimes, you know, the lines blur, that we're actually in a picture where we're mostly, as Christians, just going for the byproducts of the fruits and not the fruits themselves. And Jesus warns in his, uh, in his teachings, Matthew records this, chapter 16, verse 26, and he says, listen, what good will it do? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? All those byproduct fruits yet forfeit their soul. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? In other words, like what is, what is anything remotely close to the value of your soul and the health of it fed by the fruits of the Spirit? That's where we are. But we are in a, um, in a season in a series called Seeking Higher Ground. And this is a part two of our relational and community focus for the entire year. God laid this on Horizon's heart and said, we need to grow relationally and as a community to understand that we belong to each other deeply and that the work of God and the growing of the kingdom is made by all of us coming together. And so, uh, so part one was us, like this big theological overview of saying, okay, here's relationship and community. This is how God has designed it and why and how it works. But now we're, we're digging into the details and we're looking at our first and foremost, most important relationship of them all, the one that must come first for anything else good to follow, our relationship with God. Our relationship with God. I mean, it is, it is so good. It's so overlooked sometimes because, again, we're kind of just trying to get to the end result and forgetting that there's this beautiful thing right in the middle. But it is our hope and desire that you would, would grow into a, the deepest and most sincere relationship with God possible through horizons, through these teachings, through the work. So the resulting picture that happens when we try to get to these end fruits is actually um, is, is, is a lesser than, sort of like a half relationship with God. Because So sometimes what we like to do, especially in our American culture, and this is me to a T, um, is we like to say, well, um, I'm going to have my cake, and by goodness, I am going to eat it too. And I'm not going to eat all the cake. It's going to keep replenishing, and I'm going to keep eating, right? Like, like um, hey, twice is double nice, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to have both of these things. I can, and I will. And, you know, so that's, that's what we believe. But um, the crazy thing is, is we think it's simple addition. I'm taking nice and nice and putting them together, and I got the best. But ultimately, um, this like boggled my mind in middle school and still does today. When you multiply 0.5 times 0.5, what do you get? Less. 0.25. Our simple addition of nice and nice is actually rendering us less because we're divided amongst two things that is weakening both. 
It is just like our illusion that we can have a deep and meaningful conversation with our spouse or our son or our daughter or our parent while also looking at our cell phone, right? Like we've all believed that we can do that every day and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So God is calling us into this, this fullness and this wholeness into the one and the good and the best. And James, this is Jesus' brother, by the way, and it, it took James a long time to be convinced that he should call his brother Lord. Um, and he paints a really good picture of what this wholeness looks like in this invitation to wholeness. And he says, okay, so by the way, James is passionate. So you just saw his beginning lines here. You adulterers. <laughs> um, James doesn't quite live in the contextual context that we live in. So he didn't realize that it might be, you know, the closing of the door for some of you. But don't, like, let's open the door. You adulterers. Just, he's saying, oh, you, you, you're married to one, but you're, you're trying to seek after the other. Don't you realize, though, that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I'll say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you'll make yourself an enemy of God. Essentially, um, you know, the, the things of the world, if we seek them as the fruits and say, hey, you know, the, the, the fruits of, for self um, that, I, that I listed, righteousness and comfort and control, all those things, those are the things. If we search, seek them foremost, it actually is kind of like a, a spiritual death because God's saying, once you leave this with me, like, to go over here, like, there's this, there's this growing divide between us. So it continues, it says, do you think the scripture has no meaning? They say that God is passionate that about the spirit he has placed within us and that it should be faithful to him. And he gives grace general, generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see what's going on here? So God has placed a spirit into us, his spirit living in us, at the very core of us. And he desires that spirit to be in communion with him, in intimacy of oneness. And then he's saying, so therefore pride is going to build your walls, but humility is going to break them down and leads to a, a, a fountain of grace, of goodness. And then he continues. He says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands. And again, this is James here using words that we probably would, you know, kind of make a little bit easier. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. We're all sinners, by the way. Uh, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. So he's saying, like, come on, let's, let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. Because the devil, by the way, um, is, is actually using the world to say, Ah, yes. Just like he took Jesus, like on the high places and the cliffs and said, ah, you know, like, all oh, this could be yours. Oh, like, do you want 12 disciples or do you want a kingdom? Right? Like, the, the disciples will drown if you let them in the water. But look, these guys can make a lake. Right? Um, the devil uses that. He uses that to take us away. And again, you know, we're invited. Humble yourselves before the God. And then he continues, let there be tears for what you have done. 
Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Now, most pastors, by the way, skip over this part because it's like, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. That's so good. And by the way, get real sad. Um, uh, But what I want you to hear about this is that James is actually saying um, that where you have done wrong, you see that for what you have done wrong, um, let's step aside from our pride and enter into a humility and own it and say, it wasn't good. It wasn't cool. And I don't want it to be between us. That's essentially what he's saying. And then he finishes and says, so therefore, humble yourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves and he will lift you up in honor. Friends, humble is to lay ourselves, humility is to lay ourselves low. But look at this. The lower we lay ourselves, the higher he will lift us up in his honor. It's a byproduct of the fruits of the good stuff, of this relationship, of this surrender. So ultimately, this whole relationship with God. Now, you could be saved. You could be, like, born Christian. Like, you could know this thing frontwards and backwards, and you were A-plus in your, Christian, your uh, Sunday school. Um, or this may be brand new to you. But I want you to know that, like, all of us, regardless of our growth and our place in our relationship, have the risk of not quite having learned this lesson today. Um, But the lesson ultimately is, is that our deepest, truest, most sincere, most powerful, most intimate relationship with God is found not through anything other than surrender and humility. But there are three incredible things that happen when we are willing to surrender ourselves. The first thing that happens is, and I I love this so much, I want to share this with you. The first thing is that we see a spiritual transformation. Now, I alluded already, each of you have a spirit. This is God's presence. This is God's self. In the very beginning, uh, before time, before creation, God breathed his spirit into your soul. It is a part of him that lives in you, and the more it comes alive, communes more and more with him. It's in us. It's our direct line. It's our spirit. That is his spirit. And when spiritual transformation happens, it is us letting our spirit conform to that of Jesus' spirit. It is the conformity of our spirit to the spirit of Jesus. For three reasons, for the glory of God, for the beauty of ourselves, and for the benefit of our neighbor and our enemy, and our enemy. That's what spiritual transformation is. And I just, I just started reading this book last week, and it's like God was just like, Jason, I need you to read this book because I'm, I'm preparing, I'm paving the way. And this is uh, Ruth Haley Barton, and she writes this book that's called Strengthening Your Spiritual Leadership or something like that. But uh, like, like right there, these quotes are about spiritual transformation, and look what she writes to describe this. It is the process where the Spirit of God moves us from Fear and self-protection to trust and abandonment to God. From selfishness and self-absorption to freely offering the gifts of the authentic self. That's good. From the ego's desperate attempts 
the ego's desperate attempts to control the outcomes of our lives to an ability to give ourselves over to the will of God. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. So that's step one, surrender. That's what happens when we surrender. This beautiful fruit of the Spirit starts happening. And our spirits grow stronger and more beautiful because they rest more confidently in the arms of God. Then the second thing that happens is once our spirit starts to really grow, then our soul comes next. Spiritual transformation leads to soul formation. And Jesus says, what good is it to lose your soul? So we don't actually like lose sight of it. Like it's like either under the bed or somewhere in the attic. Like it's actually like it just kind of like diminishes. It diminishes. It becomes idle and fruitless. Kind of goes into hibernation. Um, And so spiritual formation is actually the growing of the soul. Soul formation, excuse me, is the growing of this soul. And so again, uh, Barton quotes here, and she says about the soul formation, the soul is the part of you that is the most real, the very essence of you that God knew before he brought you forth in physical form. The part of you that will exist after your body goes into the ground. This is the you, the beautiful you that exists beyond any role that you play, any job that you perform, any relationships that seem to define you. We've got a lot of those. Or any notoriety or success you may have achieved. It is the part of you that longs for more of God than you have right now. The part that may even now Be aware of missing God amid the challenges of life. You see, when the spirit starts through surrender, starts growing and healing and and rising and filling, the soul gets cared for and starts to take this beautiful shape of, of getting God into our lives in this intimate way. And what happens when our souls start to take godly shape, the third thing that happens through surrender, bodily, um, I almost, I forgot here, bodily rebirth, that's it. It came back to me, thank you, Lord. Bodily rebirth. Just like, you know, the Pharisee was like, Jesus, like, how do I be born again? Am I supposed to like, and then come back out? Like, (laughs) Um, how does that work? But essentially, what we know is that as the Spirit is awakened in us and our soul begins to be transformed and shaped, that our physical body experiences rebirth. Paul declares this really well, again, in his letter to the Galatians, again, chapter 5, and this time, verse 16, he says, So I say, Walk by the Spirit. Essentially, when you are in the Spirit, surrender to the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirits are growing in you, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh anymore. Man, you want to say no to something? It is not a matter of willpower. It's a matter of surrender to something greater. Well, that's good. That's good. 
So ultimately, the bottom line in all of this, in our relationship with God, wherever we are on the spectrum, we've known him for thousands of years, or this is like day negative six, to be in true and intimate relationship with God is to be in full and free surrender to God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. This is a freeing relationship. By the way, uh, Trentel's been um, you know, building some new relationships with vendors and stuff. And unfortunately for him, they, friend him, they send him like free t-shirts and they're all mediums. Fortunate for me. So I, I get all these cool t-shirts. It's great. And I was like, this one fits today and it's clean. Um, to be in true intimate relationship with God is to be in full free surrender to God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And that is good. So friends, there's a moment where the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, his disciples around, and he comes up and he's like, teacher, um, I need to know what it's going to take for me to get into the kingdom of God. And Jesus is like, well, you know, follow these commandments from the Ten Commandments. And he's like, hey, nailed it. And then Jesus is like, okay, the only thing that you lack still is go and sell all of your possessions, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Then, then you will truly be set free. And um, and we don't know, actually. So if a teacher ever says, like, he didn't do it. We don't know. It doesn't say. He just, we know that he went home sad. You and I would go home sad too. But my invitation to you is not to go home sad today. Because the writing on the wall is I'm asking you and I'm calling. The Spirit is reaching out to you to say, um, choose God instead of the world and let him give everything that you need. Your riches, your wealth, your fame, your success, your agenda, like whatever it is, surrender it. And that's a hard pill to swallow, but I'm inviting you not to go home sad because it's worth it. It is worth it. The fruits of the Spirit will lead to immense treasures. The more that we surrender to our God and to the Spirit, His Spirit working within us. So when um, we get ordained and become pastors, there's this prayer that's ascribed to John Wesley, the father of United Methodism or Methodism, uh, you'll hear about the Wesleyan tradition. Um, that's John Wesley. And I don't, they actually say that maybe he didn't write this, but he made it famous because he prayed this and he encouraged his pastors to pray it as well. But this is a prayer of surrender, and I think it is so beautiful because it begins to pave the way. By the way, you can Google this Wesleyan covenant prayer. This is in my Bible. It's getting a little bit raggedy, but I pulled it out today. And John Wesley prays and he says, I am no longer my own Lord, but I'm yours. So put me to what you will. Rank me with who you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you. Let me be laid aside for you. Let me be exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. Lord, I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to you for your pleasure and your disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are mine, and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven 
Amen. Every time I come out here on the stage, this is not me exalting myself. It's just telling you a little bit of behind the scenes. Literally, I get on my knees and I say, Lord, do what you need to through this message. If I screw up so bad, it's terrible, and you still accomplish what you need to through it, so be it. That's a tough prayer because we want to come out here and do a nice job for you. But it's about the glory of God and what he's doing. And that's where the true richness of that relationship comes. Lord God, you are so good. You invite us into a deep surrender, not because you want power and control over us, because you want to shut us down, but because you love us. And you want, through our coming to you, you want to lift us up. You want to work with us and through us. You want to bless us and lead us. You want to love us and be loved by us. So Lord, we all know that we've got hardness all over our hearts. But we pray that you will give us the courage to begin opening them. To let go of the fruits that we have said that we want most. To truly welcome yours. To let you grow within us so beautifully. So Lord, this is our prayer. We continue to lift up your power and presence in the name of Jesus Christ amongst our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, Lord. We pray for your strength to overcome evil and aggression, Lord, to create a way and a wall of protection, Lord. We pray that you are present with the Russian civilians, with the Russian soldiers, Lord, that your truth, your message of love triumphs and has victory over this aggression, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you will not let us sit idly, but that we will join in prayer and that you will show us and move us to how we will care for our brothers and sisters, even though it does not affect us beyond the price of our gas tank. Move us to compassion for our brothers and sisters. We lift this up, Lord, and we pray it in your name as we surrender to you and your love. Amen.